Welcome to Fusion City Church Online as we continue through our journey through the book of Philippians. We're really excited about the journey that we're on and we're looking forward to sharing with you new content today. But before that happens, we're going to give you an opportunity to sing together. And uh, we, we just trust and we hope and we pray that you're taking this time seriously as you're allowing music to fill your heart and to, to bring joy to your life because music is so important to us. So uh, stop what you're doing for just a few moments and let's sing together. This is what freedom feels like This is what heaven 
Well, hello again, church. Uh, it's good to be able to come to you again via video for Church Online. And again, I'm just really enjoying our conversation pertaining to the book of Philippians. And today, we're getting into the chapter 2. I, I grabbed a couple of verses from, from the middle of chapter 2 uh, last week, but today really digging in and, uh, and starting out in, in chapter 2. And it's important for us to remember that, you know, when Paul wrote this, it was a letter. And there were no chapters, no, no separations or whatever, just kind of one continuous thought. But as, as we have it broken down in, in our you know, modern-day Bibles uh, today, we're at the onset uh, of chapter 2. And Paul here is going to communicate to us an idea, which is really a central theme, not just to, to the book of Philippians, because it has many themes, but actually a, a theme that is central to the whole of, of scripture. Uh, Matt Chandler uh, is a pastor out of a church in, in Texas and he says if you could if you could ring out the Bible you would you would find that that what falls out or what what pours out is this idea found in both uh, Psalm 111 in uh, in Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And, and that idea, when we talk about fear, is not a fear as in as in terror, but but a fear is in is in awe and respect at the just an appreciation of the, the the fullness of God's power and His might and His ability, His omniscience, everything that God is. When we have a relationship with Him and understand that, and what we find about Him in Scripture, that it should lead us to this all-encompassing fear, this, this awe of who God is and how powerful and sovereign He is. And so with, with that in mind, I want to begin our reading in, in chapter 2. And Paul says this. He says, in response to everything that he's already said. So remember, like in chapter one, he was talking about how, you know, I could live or die, it's, it's the same. I just want to live a life that's, that's worthy of the gospel. And then right here at the beginning of chapter two, he's going to continue that, that, that line of thinking again because there were no chapters. And he says this, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ. Now, Paul doesn't mean this as, as speculative as it, it sounds, he's simply saying, if you'll grant me the premise, if, we can, if you just let me have this, that there is encouragement for Christ. Now, remember, Paul's writing to people that he knows, right? The, the Philippian jailer, Lydia, the slave girl. He, he's writing to all these people that he knows. He knows how much they have experienced and seen evidence of the work of God in their lives. So he's not saying that hypothetically, if there maybe is encouragement, Paul's saying, I know that there is encouragement to you from Christ. And so if there is any encouragement from Christ, what is this encouragement? Paul has been, been fleshing out this idea that the gospel is for everybody. It's not just for the Jews anymore. It's for Jews. It's for Greeks. It's for Gentiles. The gospel is for everyone, regardless of the sin that's in your life, regardless of your family history, regardless of your aptitude and your ability, regardless of everything, the gospel is for everybody. 
And he says, because we're encouraged by that, if there's any encouragement, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. If you guys remember last week, I told you that, that there's this recurring theme in the book of Philippians in the letter that Paul is writing, that he really wants the church to be unified, that he wants, to be, he wants them to be uh, of the same mind, having the same heart, uh, trying to accomplish the same thing, all for the good of the kingdom in response to the gospel. And so he's, he's reiterating that here. But what he's going to go on to say is that the wrench in the gears of Christian unity is self-interest and selfishness. It's, it's pride. That what keeps us from being unified, what keeps us from, from staying on the same page together, what keeps us from, from being as effective and efficient as we could be is our own self-interest and our own pride. And so he says this in verse 3. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here Paul says, nothing. That that's all things. Don't do anything. Don't don't even let it get into your, your spirit or your mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That This is what keeps us from being, you know, Paul says, I want you to be of the same mind, have the same love, trying to accomplish the same things. I want you to do all of that stuff. But in order to do that, you can't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. And in every chance that you get, Consider others better than yourself. So he, he uses two terms here, and they're, they're similar, but I, but I want to define them because there is some distinction that we need to pay attention to. He, he says, don't do anything from, from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition is, is this, this unhealthy, competitive nature that we can sometimes fall into. That where when I see what somebody else has, my, my objective or my desire is to have more than them. It's not so much keeping up with the Joneses as I want to be better than the Joneses. That, that I feel like I want to achieve more and be better and, and excel further. And it's, there's, there's an unhealthiness some, that can come into our, to our ambitions to where it's, it's self-driven. It has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with, with trying to make Jesus more famous, that we ourselves are trying to become that which is re revered and that which is, is looked up to. And Paul says, nah, don't do anything with, with selfish ambition. Don't, don't let your pride get the better of you to where you're always competing with everybody else just because you want to be better. That's selfish. That's selfish ambition. And, and then he says, don't do anything from, from conceit. If, if selfish ambition is the desire to be better than somebody else, conceit is being a sore loser when, when you're not or when you fail 
to be. Conceit says there's something that, that I deserve that I didn't get. I was supposed to be better. I was supposed to receive more. I was supposed to have what, what they have and I don't have it. And that, there's, a, there's an entitlement in that mentality. Paul says that's, that's conceited. That's self-focused. That's selfish. That's pride. And we should do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And the reason that that's, that's such a big deal, and the reason here that, that Paul calls it out and highlights that as the thing that keeps us from being unified as Christ followers, is because any time we, we live our lives from, from the perspective of selfish ambition, any time that, that conceit gets the better of us, it, it's really an, an insult and an affront and an offense to God. Think about it. Anytime I desire, at an unhealthy level, more than what I have, that's to say to God that you haven't given, you haven't given me enough. That God, in your sovereign wisdom and in your powerfulness, and remember that's the theme that we're, that we're kind of ringing out and fleshing out here, that God, in all of your power, in all of your might, in all of your knowledge, you messed up. You didn't give me what I deserve. Yet you haven't given me enough. And conceit is the same way. God, that thing that you gave to them, that blessing that they received, that should have come to me. God, you, you made a mistake. Do you see, do you see how, how awful that feels even running through your mind? It feels awful coming out of my tongue, uh, out of my mouth and then off of my tongue to say, to ever even conceive of the thought that God could have gotten it wrong. Now, Paul says, no, when we, when we correctly elevate the persona and the, and the understanding of who God is, that's when we'll be unified because we'll all recognize together God's majesty and his beauty and his power and his might. And so Paul here is challenging the church at Philippi, and I think even it's fair to say that he's challenging us in our modern context to think about life our life in response to Jesus positionally. God, you are above all. Jesus, you are Lord of all and above all things. And all that I have, God, I believe that you've given it and you've given it in the correct measure that I have exactly what I need to accomplish what you've put before me. God, you don't make mistakes because you're holy and you're perfect. And if I don't have something, and you haven't given it to me, then God, I trust that I didn't need it to begin with. And God, if I have something that you take away, then God, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna believe and trust that I didn't need it any longer. And so you, you remove that from me. And that can be anything from, from our possessions to our wealth, to our health, even to, to the passing on of loved ones, even when people that, that are close to us, that God brings them home. We shouldn't be angry with God about that kind of stuff, but we should trust that, that their mission was over, that, that their purpose was fulfilled in the will of God. And so we, clinging to our trust and hope in Jesus, know that everything that happens does so under the sight and inside of the will of God. So if God gives, it's because he wanted us to have it and because we needed it. If God takes away, it's because we didn't need it. And in his sovereignty, God saw fit and his good and pleasing and perfect will to take it away. But in all things, we trust that we don't let our pride get the better of us. We don't let our self-interest 
get the better of us, that we do absolutely nothing, zero, zilch, nada, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So I'll, I'll close and, and ask with this question. Have you ever felt like there was something that you deserved that you didn't get? I think all of us probably have at times. Have you ever been angry at God for something that he took away or something that he didn't give, or something that somebody else got? Paul would say, if that's the case, if that's how we feel, then we've allowed selfish ambition and conceit to take root. And those things, our self-interest, our desire to get what we feel is best for us, all of those things makes it impossible for, be, for us to be in unity with our other brothers and sisters in Christ. And then Paul concludes the chapter, or goes on in the chapter rather, he doesn't conclude the but goes on in the chapter to, to give us a case study in the form of Jesus. Paul's saying, if anybody ever got this right, it was Jesus. And as Christ followers, if we're trying to be more like Jesus, then we should take our cue and our example for, from him of what it looks like to not have selfish ambition and conceit. He says this starting in verse 8. He says, and being, I'm sorry, not verse 8, verse 5. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the relationship that Paul is drawing out. That our willingness to humble ourselves results in exaltation later. That in the same way that Jesus was willing to humble himself, God in the flesh with a willingness to, to give us an example of humility by being obedient even to the point of death on a cross. That, that is our example. A total willingness to lay everything down for the cause of the gospel. Paul says, take, take your cue from Christ. Be like him. Be humble. And in doing so, there's exaltation for, for him and for us to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the encouraging words found for us in the book, the letter of Philippians. God, it's my hope and my prayer today that each and every one of us would, would kind of take stock of our lives, that we would evaluate our thoughts, that we would think positionally, that we would have this understanding of our life that says, God, whatever I have, I have because you've given it. Whatever I don't have, God, it's because I trust that you, that you knew I wouldn't need it. But in all things, God, I humble myself before you because I trust you. 
And in doing so, God, it makes me like my Savior, Jesus, who humbled himself, was obedient even to the point of death. God, help us to be more like your son. Help us to be humble. Help us to, to, to rally around and center our thoughts around one idea. Now, God, you are in control. You are ultimate. You are supreme. You are holy. You're perfect, and you're wonderful. And God, we trust you. And Father, help us then to lay down our self-interest and our pride, our selfish ambition and our conceit, that we might fully trust you and be unified together for the sake of your kingdom and for the spread of the gospel. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you again for hanging out with us today at Fusion City Church Online. We're really having a great time with this, and we trust that you are too. Before I let you go, though, I want to remind you, be sure that you visit Fusion City Church uh, dot com slash online. There you're going to see a couple of options for you. You can uh, submit prayer requests there and our Fusion City Kids content is there as well. Your kids are going to love it, so take advantage of that. So until we see you again next time, I pray that you stay safe and God bless. <laughs>